Our scripture reading is from Joshua 1, verses 1 through 9 this morning, and Mary Colley will be reading for us in honor of God's word. Let's stand together. Listen as I read. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I have promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, okay, so we, we have been in a series called um, The Story of Stories. And uh, what we've been doing in the sermon part is tracing this grand story uh, of, of the Bible and uh, recognizing that while the Bible has a ton of little stories, uh, maybe even some, some names that you're familiar with, um, they actually all knit together. Uh, and it's, it's, it's one grand, beautiful narrative that is revealing to us God's work uh, in, in the world. And so we've been uh, in this series kind of on and off throughout the summer. And um, in a few weeks, uh, we're going to start uh, our vision series, which is something we do uh, every fall. That's going to start a little bit earlier this year, sometime in, in October. So we're excited about that. And then after Thanksgiving, we'll move into our Advent series. And our Advent series is uh, going to be on Matthew chapter 1. Uh, but it's also going to serve as a launch into our next series, which is the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, and the Gospel of Matthew is a really big gospel. It's 20, 28 chapters, uh, over 1,000 verses. And so it's going to take us a, a long time to, to get through it. Um, but over the course of my time here, uh, we, we preached through uh, two other gospels. We preached through the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Mark. Uh, and so this will, for me, this will be the third gospel to preach through. And if you've ever been part of a church uh, as they as they kind of walked through a gospel together, it is a it is a it's a great it is a great journey. And so I, I'll I'll do my best to to be a good part of that journey. But it is a it is a a sweet thing for a church to to navigate uh, one of the gospel accounts and how it is that the Spirit was at work through one one writer to uh, to give us an account of of Jesus's life. And so that will launch uh, in Advent season and then into 2023. So some exciting things in front of us. Uh, but we have a few more weeks of this 
of, of this series, the story of, of stories. And uh, as you heard a moment ago, you know, one of the things that we've loved to do is to kind of add in uh, not only are there stories of God's people on the pages of the Bible that are uh, all linked together to reveal this grand work of God in the world, but there's real-time stories. There's stories of people sitting right beside you uh, in this room, uh, ways that God is at work in, 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 in that same story even, even today. And so we're thrilled to, to be able to uh, hear those. And again, thank you, uh, Amanda and, and Anders, for uh, sharing your story. Uh, today, um, if you were here last week, we were outside. Outside services are a little complicated for me. I try to endure them. Um, but for someone who is, who is responsible for preaching, it is really, really there's a lot of distractions out there. Uh, and not for me, I don't think. Actually, I think it's more for you that the distractions are than they are for me. Um, but it's, uh, uh, it, it is what it is. So l- last week, we, we uh, went through, uh, tried to in, uh, kind of investigate or look at the Exodus, uh, the story of how it is. Um, that this people of God uh, were, were, in, were in Egypt and how it is that, that God went to work uh, to get his people out of there. And, uh, and it was a, a, a just a kind of a re-entrance into this, into this series. Well, they get out of, out of Egypt, and today, as you heard, the passage was from Joshua chapter 1. And what we want to look at today is Israel moving into this specific pr- uh, uh, piece of land that is often referred to as the promised Land. And so today, that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time uh, taking a look at. And if, you, if you're there in your Bibles in Joshua chapter 1, uh, Joshua chapter 1, the first verse says, you know, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, the Jordan was a river, you and all this people into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that your foot touches, like th- th- this, this is the land. This is what I promised you. And so there's this, this beautiful reality. They are on the verge. Uh, this, 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 uh, this, this land that God had promised to them, it's right in front of them. Now think with me for a second. So, so, so many close calls on the journey uh, to, to just get to here. And, 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 and a little bit of a rehearsing here of the story that we've been tracing. Uh, God starts off in the, at the beginning of Genesis with his creative work, and he creates a perfect world. And the crown of that creation is Adam and Eve. Uh, Adam and Eve are walking in perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with each other, perfect relationship with the world. Uh, but then they choose to ignore God's good way and to do their own thing. And instead of believing God, they believed the lie. And as soon as they did, as soon as they rejected God's good design uh, and chose their own way over his, uh, sin entered into the world. And, and sin brings death. And, and by that, it means separation. That, that, that's the basic idea of death. Sin brings separation, separation in all kinds of ways, relational uh, with creation, but most ultimately separation with God. But as the bad news is coming, this sin, this sin is uh, poured into the world and God sits down with Adam and Eve and with, with Satan, the serpent, and he says, here's the consequences of this. It's going to be way worse than you think. It's, it's going to infect the world and it's going to get so bad. And as God is telling them the effects of their sin, he throws in a little whisper in Genesis 3, uh, verse 15. He says that Eve, uh, the, the seed of Eve, an offspring of Eve, is going to crush Satan. And, and uh, biblical scholars refer to it as the first gospel, this whisper um, that, that, that God was going to fix it. That it's really, really bad news right now, but God's going to fix it. And so Eve has some sons, some offspring. And you think, all right, here we go, the offspring that are going to crush Satan. 
But if you keep reading quickly in chapter 4, you find out uh, that these sons uh, have some tragedy. And one son is murdered, so he's out of the picture. Uh, He was murdered by the other son, and so he's cursed, and he's out of the picture. And you think, oh no, we thought it was going to be the offspring of Eve, and now the offspring of Eve are gone. And then there's a super precious verse in Genesis chapter 4 that says, And Eve bore another son. And God keeps the offspring of Eve alive. Well, you keep reading and you find out that the world is full of wickedness. That um, it, it, the world just keeps deteriorating. This impact of sin is having full effect. And it's actually by Genesis 6, uh, God wants to wipe it all out and start over. But wait, God grabs a guy named Noah. And God gives him instructions, and God preserves Noah, one of the distant relatives of Eve, one of the offspring of Eve, and keeps the line of Eve alive. Further down in the, in the, in the story, we run into uh, a guy named Abraham, and God comes to Abraham, who is a descendant of Noah, who is a descendant of Eve, and he taps on Abraham's shoulder, and he says, Abraham, I, I got something I want to tell you. You're my guy. Where I'm going to work through you, and, and the world, I, like, I'm, I'm, you're, like, you're the chosen family. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do things with you. I'm going to make promises to you. And I'm going to, through you, bless the whole world. You're going to have offspring like you cannot count. So that offspring of Eve, that line is going to go and it's going to grow and it's going to bless the world. And Abraham's listening to all this and being like, that, that, that sounds like really good news. But, like, I don't, have, I don't have any children. And the years go by and he still doesn't have any children. And the years keep going by, and, and, and he and his wife, they, they, they get old. And they think, like, something must be wrong. And Abraham tries to take things into his own hands, and that doesn't work out. And they begin to, to wrestle with, what, what does God mean by our offspring? We don't even have a child. And then God intervenes again. And Sarah, Abraham's wife, at the age of 90, uh, gets pregnant and has a child and keeps the line of Eve going. Fast forward a few more chapters, and there's a severe famine that comes to the land, and it's going to wipe out the entire family. They're going to starve to death. But wait, God allows one of their family members to end up in a powerful seat in Egypt. His name's Joseph. Through all kinds of uh, shady, shady stuff, Joseph ends up in this really powerful seat in Egypt uh, where he could actually put a plan in place that would provide the fruit food that would preserve That family line, the offspring of Eve, the promise is still alive. Well, now God's people are stuck in Egypt, as we looked at last week. But God taps another guy on the shoulder, Moses. And he says, I want you to go. And I want you to go to tell the most powerful ruler in the world to let a ton of people, a ton of free labor. I want want him to let them all go. And his name was Moses. And Moses goes goes to Egypt and he speaks for God. And um, God, through a, a series of events, uh, eventually uh, Pharaoh uh, agrees to let the people go, and he lets them go. Uh, so they, they leave their slavery, they leave Egypt, uh, but then Pharaoh changes his mind and says, get those people back, I need the labor, go, go get them. And, uh, and then the, Pharaoh, the army of Pharaoh is chasing this people of Israel, and they're stuck between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea, and again, God intervenes. And God parts the water of the Red Sea in a miraculous way. And the Bible tells us that every single one of their group makes it across, makes it across safely. And that God preserves his people again. The offspring of Eve, the lineage of Eve, the one who would crush Satan, that line is preserved again. Well, now where are we at? 
You know, if that's where we got to last week was the people of Israel got across the Red Sea and were uh, saved from the, the, the wrath of Pharaoh. Where we are now is that that nation of Israel gets out of Egypt and they end up in the wilderness walking around in circles, literally walking around in circles for like 40 years. Um, and it is a mess. If you, you want to read about it, you know, you, uh, certainly d- do it if you want to. Uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, it, it is... It's, it's a total mess. The, the, the people are an absolute mess, and they just roam around in circles. You know, God had tapped Moses as their leader. They don't want to listen to Moses. Moses has his own set of problems. They, they, like, they can't get anything right, uh, but God continues to provide for them, provides water, provides food, uh, and he, he, he carries them through these 40 years. Um, and here they are on the, uh, you know, like you can see the promised land in the distance. And then Moses dies. Like Israel had a hard time following anybody. But if there's someone they could follow, maybe it's Moses. At least Moses had all this, uh, should, should have had all this credibility. And now he's dead. But what we find out here in Joshua chapter 1 is that God raises up another leader. Uh, and his name is, is Joshua. And if you were to read Joshua chapter 1, you, you find out that the author of Joshua, they, 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 they very intentionally have Joshua doing Moses-like things. Uh, as, as Joshua talks, he, he just says things very similar to what Moses said. He calls on them uh, to obey God's laws, just like Moses, very similar to Moses' language. Uh, he leads them across the body of water. Moses led them across the Red Sea here. Uh, Joshua leads them across the Jordan River, uh, both in miraculous ways. Um, and so here we are, the, the promised land, the, this land that when God way, way back, when God tapped Abraham on the shoulder and said, all of these promises, I'm going to work them through your family. I'm going to give you more offspring than you can, can count. Okay, that's happened. There, there's this big horde roaming around the, the wilderness. And now, you know, he says, he says, I'm going to give you a land. Well, here we are. Now we're standing on, on, the, on the verge right on the edge of this land. And here's this, this river, and we're getting ready to cross the river. And it's, uh, it's the land that God has promised to his people. I mean, it's been about 400 years since God made that promise to Abraham uh, that he would have a land, this promised land. And so they are moving into this promised land, into what they would consider home. But I don't want you to miss that they have been here before. So they get across the Red Sea and they end up in the wilderness and God is like, okay, we're out of Egypt. I'm taking you to the promised land. And they got to about this spot in Numbers 13 and they, they are like, okay, that's the land that God's promised to us. It has other people dwelling there, but it's the land that God has promised to us. So let's go scout it out. Let's figure out what we need to do to move in to this land that God has promised us and, and we'll figure out a game plan. And they send spies in there, and uh, you can read about it in Numbers, Numbers 13 and 14. But the spies, 10 of the 12 spies, are wusses. And they come back, and they're scared to death about the, 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 the size of the people and the strength of the people. And they don't want to take a chance of trying to move in to the land that God had promised them. And God basically says, okay, then we're not moving in. And we're going to wander. And we're going to wander around in the desert. And the people of Israel had a terrible attitude. They, they, they rejected God's design. They rejected Moses. All, all kinds of, 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 of mess went on. And so they'd been here before. They rejected the invitation to move into, the, into, the, into their land. And then they wandered in the wilderness. For how long? For about 40 years. Do you, you know what that means? It's the generation. That they, they wandered the desert long enough for that generation to die off. 
The generation that refused to obey God, the generation that refused to, to follow God, they, they, they wandered the wilderness and that generation died off. And, and, and even Moses, like they all died off except for the two good spies, Joseph and Caleb, or uh, 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 Joshua and Caleb. Uh, and so everybody else has died off. And now here they are. They're back ready to move in. So I want you to think about God's people and, and God himself. They're, they're getting ready to move into the land. And these first nine verses, um, you know, they, they, they are, uh, they're, they're a sweet uh, speech that, that Joshua gives to the people. And he says, here's God's invitation. Be strong and courageous. We, we were here once before and we, and we wussed out. We were here once before and we got scared. Don't, don't, don't do that this time. There, there were consequences for that. Like, let, 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 let's move forward. Let, let's do it. Uh, if you were here for our 100th anniversary back in May, uh, we looked at Joshua 3 through 5, uh, and, and we saw that what, what it was for them to actually to, to follow God, to step out and to step into that river and to see God uh, part the water and to provide a way for them to, to move into uh, the promised land. But the book of Joshua gets really complicated. It gets really complicated, especially for our modern ears, because Joshua and the people of Israel go running around this area and they are they just they clean it out. They start, they start moving everybody who lives there out of their way. And they're saying, this is a land that God has promised to us. And if you read the book of Joshua, especially the first half, it is just packed full of battles. Tons and tons of battles, lots and lots of deaths. And then you get to Judges and it, it just gets more complicated and more difficult and more crazy. And so, so the, these, these are hard chapters. These are, are hard things for us to digest, especially in our current cultural moment. But I want you to see that there's this really interesting dynamic at play throughout this book, and it's actually a dynamic that runs throughout the Bible. In the book of Joshua, it is really clear that the people are called to choose. That they are, they are called crystal clear. It's not the only time, but in Joshua chapter 1, verses, verses 6 through 9, this is what Joshua says to them. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Um, only, um, this is the Lord. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. And then he goes on and says it again. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. In other words, you, you've got to choose to do this, guys. You, you've, you've got to gird up your loins. You've got to get some guts. You've got to go. You've got to obey me. You've got to walk in faith. Like, you have to make a choice. And as the book unfolds, we see them making good choices. Sometimes we see them making bad choices. And then they experience the consequences of those choices. But there's another dynamic at play. So on the one hand, they are called to choose. But it's also very clear that simultaneously, while the people of Israel are called to choose, that God has chosen too. Look at the, first, or the earlier verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. God says, I'm, I'm going to be with you the whole way. Like God says, you got to choose. At the exact same time, it says, I've already chosen. I've already chosen this land. I've already given you this land. 
You see, what's happening in, this, in, these, in these couple chapters, actually in these couple books, is God is keeping his promises to Abraham at, at some degree. The promises that will lead to the ultimate promise of the one who's the line of Eve, who will crush Satan and sin and all of our enemies. But I don't want you to miss that the people are still accountable for their decisions. God says, here's the land. I've given it to you. It's all yours. And then he says, but you got you to choose to be strong and courageous. So the people have to choose, even though God's already chosen. And God says, you're accountable for your decisions. How, how can that be? Has God given them the land, or are they supposed to be strong and take it? Well, the, the answer is both. The, the Bible is forcing us right here to recognize that both are simultaneously true. That, that both of these things are simultaneously true. That Israel is on the hook to make decisions. And yet, there is a sovereign God who makes decisions. And that is a tension that does not disappear. That is a tension that goes throughout the Bible. That the Christian is always being put, uh, like we're always having to face that. It's something that the, the Christian has to eventually see. That God is indeed sovereign over the whole world, but he also gives humans agency. He gives, us the, he gives us the ability to make decisions. He gives us the freedom to choose. And you say, how can those two things be simultaneously true? Because it appears that the Bible was saying this. Somehow, God is at work in a sovereign way to work the world towards a certain end with a certain plan in mind that does not violate your free will. Now, you say, I can't come up with a plan. I, how could that be? Well, look, just because you can't come up with a reason doesn't mean there isn't one. That's what the Bible is indicating, is that there's, there's a sovereign God who is at work in the world to bring about certain ends, and that does not violate your free will. You are still responsible for your decisions. You are still responsible for your actions. Our decisions matter. Sometimes Christians can fall into a little bit of a trap, a little bit of almost like fatalism, where it's like, well, you know, God's in charge. Well, yes. You, you, you better be glad that he's in charge. That is way above our pay grade. But he also looks at you and says, you got to make some decisions. you you got to choose here. You going into the promised land? You taking this step? Are you going to believe me? Are you going to walk in my good way? Our decisions still matter. We're responsible for our decisions. Our decisions have consequences. This is the, the message for Israel. It's a message for the nations around them. And it's a message for me and for you. What, what are you going to do about what you know about God? What are you going to do with that? Thro throwing your hands up and being like, oh, God's in control? That, that is not what the Bible says. What, what are you going to do about God's work in the world? What are you going to do about what he describes as his good way? What's your response to those things? Like that, that you're on the hook for your response to those things. God calls you to respond to those things. Well, if we're honest... That should raise some deep concern. If I'm on the hook for my decisions, that should raise some really deep concern. Why? Because I have failed to live in line with God's good way. There's a lot of examples of me failing to live in line with God's good way. And you know what the Bible says? That the list is pretty long for you too. That you failed to live in line with God's good way. And that means that when I look at my situation and I say, oh man, I'm responsible for my decisions? I'm on the hook for my decisions. 
that should cause a lot of fear. Because what the Bible says is that anyone who has actually uh, uh, offended God, anyone who has not lived according to God's good way, is separated from him. And God's going to come back and make the whole world right. He's going to wipe this world clear of all wickedness and evil and sin. And on some days I think, well, man, that's so good. I'm so glad that the Lord's coming back to, to wipe all sin and wickedness off the earth. Until I realize that I'm part of that. If he's going to come and wipe the world of all sin and wickedness, then I'm in serious trouble. But boy, do I have good news. The, the, the story that we are tracing is the way that this problem gets resolved. Psalm 103 says this. The Lord does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. You say, how, how, like this, this, this is bad news. If I'm accountable for my decisions, it's bad news. How in the world can it be good news? What, what, what could answer this? Well, the answer is the message of the gospel. The fact that there would be a substitute, one who would, would go in my place, who would actually take my resume, take all those decisions that I'm on the hook for and pay for them himself, take them as if they were his, act as if they were his own decisions, and instead give me his resume. He takes what I deserve, and I get what he deserves. This is the message of Jesus' work on our behalf. See, because of Jesus, we do not have to receive what our actions deserve. It's true. It's true on the pages of the Bible. You are on the hook for your decisions. But boy, is there good news. Jesus will go on the hook for you. Jesus has actually already gone on the hook for you. And he invites you to just come, to just let, let, let him cover you. It's the call of the Bible. This is the work of God in the world on your behalf. And it's one of the decisions that sits in front of you. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with the reality that you're accountable for all of your decisions and there's no way for you to fix it, but there's one who will substitute, one who will take your place? Well, it's the story of Joshua. It's the story of the nation of Israel. It's actually the story of the world. So last, let's, let's close with this. God, God's people welcoming others. If you jump to the end of Joshua, to Joshua chapter 24, I, I want you to see something because I just mentioned a moment ago, these are complicated chapters. Israel is, is given this land that's called the promised land, and they're supposed to take this land and move into it and, and live there. And um, you, you could imagine, I, I, I went to, got the, had the opportunity to go to the Holy Land uh, back in 2016, 2017. And um, we, had a, we had a guide. And our guide was, was not Jewish. Our guide was Palestinian. He, he actually uh, grew up in Nazareth. And his family been in the area for a really, really long time. And when he reads the Old Testament and he sees that the nation of Israel came to this promised land and moved in and moved into, as the Bible says, houses that they did not build and vineyards that they did not plant. Our, our tour guide said, those verses are really hard for me because like, it's like my family that built those houses. And it's like, it's my family that planted those vineyards. And especially with our modern sensibilities, it, it, it is really hard to figure out what to do 
with, with those passages as the nation of Israel clears out the promised land. But here's what I want you to see. Israel was never asked to run around forcing people to believe. They, they were never actually asked to do that. They, they were actually asked to be a light to the nations. There, there's a Jewish Hebrew scholar. So, he, so he's, he's Jewish. He's not, not a Christian. Uh, but he is a scholar on the Hebrew Bible. And he, this is what he said. This is a paraphrase. But this is what he said. Israel is unique in, in all of history up until that point. He said that every nation, every ancient nation, conquered whatever they could. If they were the stronger nation, they conquered everything around them. And they wanted to expand their borders, and they wanted to try to rule as far out as they could rule. But along comes Israel, the people of the God of heaven, the people of Yahweh, the people of Jehovah. And they are actually given a mandate not to expand their borders. God has this land that he promised to them a long time ago. He says, this is my land for you. And so you're supposed to take this land, but then they're not supposed to expand their borders. They're not actually supposed to run around and try to conquer the world. They're actually supposed to be a light to the nations. They're supposed to be this. Look at what life looks like when you align yourself with the God of heaven. Look at, what, look at how life works out if you'll obey God. If you'll, if you'll trust Yahweh, this is how life looks. Come and join us. Come and do it. This is how it works. This is how it's supposed to be. They were to be a light to the nations. What one author puts it this way. They were supposed to be a centripetal, which means a magnet. They were, they were supposed to be a centripetal force saying, come and look. Not so much a centrifugal force where they're out there trying to, to conquer or something. They were to be a light to the nations. And this, this might seem a little complicated, but there's actually good evidence throughout the book of Joshua that there is an invitation to, to, to come and join what they're doing. Even the people that indwelled the land. There's indications in, in Genesis and here in Joshua that the people of Israel were made up of not just biologically Jewish people. When they left Egypt... It says in chapter 12 of Exodus that there was a whole bunch of people that went with the Israelites. It wasn't just one ethnic people. There were a whole bunch of Egyptians who saw what happened and they're like, we're following that God. And they joined the people of Israel as they left Egypt. The, the invitation, this, this light to the nations was meant to be a magnet. And there are people, Canaanites, who are converting throughout the book of Joshua. There was an invitation to come and align yourself with the God of heaven. As you get to the end of Joshua, Joshua chapter 24, look at verses 13 through 15. It says, I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. So you notice that in verse 14? Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you'll serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river 
or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Do you see what Joshua is saying to the people? Joshua is basically looking at them and saying this. Okay, guys, we've conquered the land, and some of you are ethnically Jewish. But some of you have joined the party. Some of you have have seen the power of, of Yahweh. You've seen the glory of Yahweh, and you have joined us in this journey. Here's the invitation. I don't really care what your background is. I don't care about your biology. I don't care about your ethnicity. What I care about is your relationship with Yahweh. Choose this day whom you'll serve. Joshua looks at the crowd and he's like, I know some of you are actually literally related to Abraham. I get it. But a lot of you aren't. And the invitation is the exact same. Choose this day who you will serve. This call to to say the doors are open. You, you, You are welcome to serve Yahweh. You are welcome to love Jehovah God. The people of Israel were to be a light to the nations. You know, and in Jesus's life, in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus takes that language and applies it to the, to the church. He actually says to the church, I want you to be a city on the hill. I want you to be a light. And I want that light to shine. Now, Jesus does add a going component where it's both centripetal and centrifugal. It's both. There's a magnetic nature to the people of God where we are a light to the nations, but there's also a going, a sense of of eagerness to tell and to share the good news about who Jesus is. Well, Joshua chapter 21 reveals, uh, verses 43 through 45, it reveals that God keeps his promises to to Israel, keeps his promises to to Abraham. Let's listen to these verses. Joshua 21, 43 through 45. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, And they took possession of it and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them. And then verse 45, not one word from all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. By the time you get done this chapter, the nation of Israel is made up of some extras now that have joined the party. And the writer of Joshua says, all the promises, they, they, they've all been kept. God's kept his promises. He, he's he's, he's uh, maintained the lineage. He's given them their land. But then in Joshua 23 and 24, we get a little bit of a cliffhanger. Will Israel choose to obey God? Joshua 23, verses 11 through 13 basically says, look, God cleared out the inhabitants of this land because he promised it to you. Those Canaanites, I mean, if you want to know more about that, you can look into the Canaanites. They were grossly immoral. They were involved in child sacrifice. And that is why God said they cannot be in his land unless they were to to come to the the God of, of heaven. But if you turn, he says, Israel, I've given you the land. You're here. But if you turn from me, if you reject my good way, then you're going to have consequences, too. In Joshua 23, he says, you'll lose the land if you don't obey. You'll lose the land if you don't walk in my good way. He doesn't say they'll stop being the people of God. He says they're going to lose the blessing of being the people of God. Israel's unique, but in some very real ways, they don't get special treatment. The Canaanites were kicked out of the land because they were living contrary to God's good way. 
And then God looks at Israel and says, so the land's yours, but the choice is yours. If you live in my good way, you can stay here. So we're left with the question, how will Israel do? How will Israel handle this? Will Israel obey God? Will Israel align themselves with God? It's the story of the rest of the Old Testament. It's the story that next week, as we look at kingdom and exile, we're, we're going we're to have to wrestle with how it is that Israel responded to this call to obey the God of heaven. And it dovetails beautifully with this reality that we, are, that we have in front of us. We have a sovereign God who rules over all things, and yet he looks at you and says, what are, what are you going to do? What's the decision that you're going to make? How are you going to handle this? How are you going to respond to what you know about God? How, how are you going to respond about God's good way? How are you going to respond to this reality that you are in desperate need of someone who can take your place and reunite you, reconcile you to the God of heaven? It's the question of the ages. It's one of the reasons why the gospel and the good news about Jesus are something that we want to rehearse and, 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 and uh, consider every single week. We end our services by going to, to communion, by going to the table. And this bread that we break and this juice that we drink represent the person and work of Jesus on our behalf. And if Jesus did not do what he did, then we are, we are indeed hopeless people. But there is good news, and that good news has a name. It's not just facts, it's a person, the person of, of Jesus. As I said a minute ago, we've added chairs, so it's a little crazy in here. The communion is back at the communion table, so our invitation, our, our invitation to you is to come down the center aisle, get your elements at the table, and then head back to your seats on the outside aisle. Um, and generally speaking, we're going to try to do this by rows, but no pressure. Like, if you want to stay in your seat and come later, you are free to do that. We can climb over each other. We're a, we're a family. <clears throat> um, we'll, have, we'll have two closing songs, so you, so you do have a, a little bit of time. Uh, but the invitation is to come, take this bread, take this cup, and remember Jesus' work on your behalf. If you're a person here today and you're saying, man, I don't think I've actually made a decision about what I'm going to do with Jesus. I don't actually think I've considered this reality of the fact that Jesus has done for me the, the most important thing. Man, like now is the time. Don't, don't come receive the elements. Stay where you're at and receive, uh, receive Christ. He is, uh, he is there with open arms. If our servers would please come, let's pray. God, thank you for this uh, passage. Thank you for the book of Joshua and for the, uh, boy, this, this grand story that just keeps twisting and turning. And uh, what a celebration to see your people move into the promised land, to receive from you these, these good, good gifts that you gave to them, that you preserved for them. God, as they were offered the option of, are you going to be courageous? Are you going to be strong and courageous and, and step into this? God, we thank you that they did. It's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful statement of, of actually believing you and trusting you and walking in your good way. But there's more to the story. We'll see in the weeks ahead. But God, for us, there's more to the story too. God, would you, would you be at work in our hearts right now to help us see you? Would you be at work in our hearts right now to, to be willing to be honest about the, the parts of our life that, that might not align with your good way and recognize that you're inviting us into something better, something so much better. I pray that you give us the courage to, to step into it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.